0: I hope that you are shouting in your living room this morning as you listen to that description of Jesus. I hope your neighbors are calling the cops right now because of the sound coming out of your living room. God is good, isn't he? We've been talking for weeks now, months, about the example of Jesus Christ in our lives, right? And and I thought it might be a good idea, now that we've been at this for a while to give you a little reminder of who this Jesus is that we have been talking about. How great is our God? His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. People love kingdoms and power and glory, don't they? If you don't believe me, just, uh, just think for a second about how elections go in our country, right? Uh, the gloves come off at election time, and you've seen that in this election. Uh, the campaigns this year for this election, just the presidential uh, uh, campaigns and the congressional seats, just those together, the spending on those campaigns has been over 11 billion dollars. They're spending $11 billion trying to get into these seats of power and authority. All to get a job that doesn't pay as much as the job they're leaving. All to get a job that doesn't pay as as much as they're spending in the effort to get the job. So why do they do it? It's not for the money. Our our president uh, gives his salary back every year. He's already rich. All of these guys are already rich. So if it's not for the money, why do they do this? Why put themselves through this? It's for kingdoms and power and authority. It's because those are the things that people value over everything else. Kingdoms, power, glory. Those are sort of universally accepted marks of greatness through all time. I bet you've never heard of Alexander the Mediocre, right? I think he's a plumber in Poughkeepsie. But, but you have heard of Alexander the Great. Why do they call him Alexander the Great? Because he conquered kingdoms, because he ruled over millions of people. And you could put others like, you know, Caesar and, and Pharaoh and Napoleon and all of these others into that group. These are the people who go down in history. But the thing is, When it comes to great figures in history, Jesus stands out like a sore thumb. I don't know how else to say this. Jesus is weird. Among all of the leaders of all time, of all of the people who have had all of the influence in our world, all the people who are written up in the history books, Jesus is absolutely weird. If you crossed Napoleon, he killed you. But if you cross Jesus, he dies for you. That's weird. <laughs> that is different. And as we've seen in this study, when it comes to defining greatness, Jesus turned the whole discussion on its head. We saw this last week. What did Jesus repeatedly teach? The greatest among you shall be the what? I can't hear you. The servant of all. The greatest among you shall be the servant of all. You have to admit that is weird teaching. But what's even weirder is not just that Jesus taught that. What's weirder is that Jesus lived it out. Don't we talk about this a lot, but as I look at my own heart and as I look at so many of the Christians that I know and observe the way that we live, I would have to say that we need to keep talking about this because we still don't seem to get it. When we think about greatness, we think about pride and authority. But when the Bible talks about greatness, it it says that we have it completely backwards. Greatness is not about pride and authority. According to God's word, greatness is about humility and submission. We've been seeing examples of Jesus all throughout the four Gospels. So I thought today as we kind of wrap up this series, on following Jesus, walking in his footsteps, it would be a great idea to let the Apostle Paul kind of sum it up for us. And so instead of looking into the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, today we're going to look into the writings of Paul, and I want you to see this from Paul's point of view as he sums it up for us. So take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians. It's in your New Testament. It's uh, toward the back. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's before you get to Colossians and after Ephesians. You're going to find Philippians. And I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to follow along with me as we read from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Paul writes this. Grace to you. Nope, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind... Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. There it is. We're supposed to be following this example of Christ Jesus, right? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You talk about giving up power. You talk about laying aside glory. You talk about setting aside authority. This is crazy what Jesus did. We talked about this last week, right? We love our heroes in this culture. The ones who, you know, receive the gold medals, the ones who wear the crowns, the ones who get their names in lights. We venerate them. We, we, we worship them to a degree. But you know what kind of hero stories we love the most? The ones where the little guy becomes great. Where somebody at the bottom of the heap pulls himself up by his bootstraps and comes out on top. We love that, right? That's why there's been 73 sequels made to the movie Rocky. We loved it when this, when this tomato can from Philadelphia rises to the top, becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. And we look at him, we go, man, if he could do it, I could do it. We love those stories. We absolutely love it. You know, I don't know. Do you cry at movies? Are you a, are you a person who cries at movies? I don't know what's happening to me, but as I get older, I cry at movies more now than I did before. Now, I should probably clarify, I don't cry at Hallmark movies, right? I mean, when they finally kiss at the end and they live happily, I don't cry at that. In fact, sometimes I cry when I walk in the house and see that my wife is watching yet another Hallmark movie. But what I cry at is sports movies. I I cry... When Rudy, this little runt from Pittsburgh, ends up at Notre Dame and finally claws his way onto the field. It gets carried off the field at the end and I'm blubbering like a baby when I see this. Because it's so motivating. You can be at the bottom of the heap and you can become great. Isn't it awesome? The underdogs, they're our favorite kind of heroes. They're nothing and they make themselves great. But Jesus is just the opposite. He is great and he makes himself nothing for us. Paul summarizes it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're still in Philippians, just turn to the left a few books. You come to 2 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he just sums it up in one verse for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Remember what we heard about him in the opening monologue that we listened to. That's my king. Remember how awesome he is. Remember how great he is. Remember how much power he has. Seated on the highest throne. Eternally worshipped by all of creation. The angels gathering around him and singing incessantly holy, holy, holy is the Lord God our almighty. That's him. That's who he's always been. He didn't have to become that. He's God. He's always been God. His is the kingdom. His is the power. And his is is the glory forever. He is God most high. You know what that means? You can't get no higher. (laughs) That's what that means. And he humbled himself. And he emptied himself. Becoming a man. Laying aside his rights as deity. And even laying down his own life to the point of death. Even death on a cross. He descended into the tomb. You know what that means? You can't get no lower. The one who is the most high became the one who is the most low. Why? Because he loves you. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And that, my friends, is our example. That is the rabbi, the one that we're supposed to follow so closely that we become covered in his dust. That is the one that we are supposed to, uh, to copy our, our, our behavior from. He is the one that we're supposed to plan our lives Based on, He is the one whose values we are supposed to adopt. He is the one whose activities we are supposed to be involved in. He is the one whose heart is supposed to become our heart. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Guys, if you've been thinking about greatness the wrong way, you've got to think about it the way that Jesus taught us by his example. Think about this. He chose submission. He chose humility. He chose sacrifice. He chose the cross. He chose the tomb because he chose to love us. That is my king. Now think about this for a second. The Most High God placed himself under the authority of sinful people. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever found yourself under the authority of someone who you knew that you were more qualified than? Maybe Maybe you had a boss who you just had no respect for and they couldn't even do the job as well as you could do the job, and yet you had to put up with them, and you had to show up every day, and they're the ones telling you what to do. Or, or maybe uh, you looked at your parents this way, and, and when you were a teenager, you realized that you knew everything, and your parents knew nothing, and yet somehow they're the ones with the power, they're the ones with the authority. Or maybe you have been called by God to submit to your spouse, And you look at your spouse and your lip begins to quiver. You shake your head and you think, How can I submit to this person? Or maybe you think every Sunday you you turn on the internet and you watch this goofy, bald headed pastor and you think he's in charge of the church? Seriously? We've all had that situation where we have to submit to someone who's, at least that we perceive, is lesser than ourselves. Picture this. When Jesus was young, Joseph was teaching him carpentry. I mean, Joseph was this master craftsman, and so Jesus is his pupil. But guess what? Jesus created wood. And he's submitting to Joseph the carpenter. As a kid, Jesus sits at the feet of these rabbis. They are learned. They're respected. They're older than him. And they're teaching him the Bible. And yet, Jesus wrote the Bible. He was tried. He was sentenced. He was ultimately tortured and killed by politicians. Governors who had been placed in a seat of authority. He even said to Pilate, You have no authority over me except that which has been given to you by my Father. And Jesus submitted to the authority of Pilate, a godless man. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus was always having to submit to those who were lesser than him. But he chose humility as a way of life. You see, it's not just about doing the humble thing in a given moment. It's not just about asking yourself, well, what's the appropriate thing for a submissive person to do? And then I'll try to do that. It's about actually being humble. It's about actually being submissive. Jesus chose humility and submission as a way of life. You want to be more like him? You're going to have to embrace humility and submission. And truly great people have been following his example ever since. Now, None of us does it quite as well. But the truly great ones, they're the ones who choose a life of humility. They're the ones who position themselves in a position of submissiveness. I'll never forget, I don't know, it was maybe 10 or 20 years ago, I watched a TV interview with the late Billy Graham. And I'll never forget, the the interviewer asked him this question He said, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? And he didn't even take a second to think about it. He just looked right at him and said, I don't want people to say anything about me. I want them to talk about my Savior. Maybe it's that kind of humility that put him in a position where he could change the world. Maybe it's that kind of humility that made him the most respected man in America five consecutive decades. Maybe it's that kind of humility that gave him an audience with princes and an audience with paupers. A poor country preacher who decided he was going to follow the example of his king and choose Humility and choose submission. Again, Jesus set a marvelous example for us in this. So let's get practical. How do we do this? Because here's the thing you need to know. Pretending to be humble stinks to high heaven. (laughs) When someone is pretending to be humble... It's like they're pretending to be loving. It, you know, it's like some sort of a sleazy salesman who walks up to you like they're your best friend and you know they're just trying to get in your pocket, right? You can't just pretend to be humble. I, I've watched people over the years who, who tried to act as if they were submissive, but submission is not an activity or a lack of activity. Submission is a condition of the heart. It's the application of genuine humility. So how do we do it? I love this verse in James chapter 4. In James 4.10, it says this, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. You see, you've got to humble yourself. It has to be a choice that you make. It's an act of the will. You say, well, you know, sometimes people run into enough trouble, they get humbled. No, nobody gets humbled. They either choose humility or they don't. You you might uh, get humiliated. You might get embarrassed. You might be ashamed. But until you choose humility, Until you choose to put on the attitude that was exemplified in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Guys, that doesn't mean at any point he was not equal with God. He's God. He's always been God. But he laid aside his right to be treated as God, and he became human so that he could go to the cross. He chose humility, my friends. Humility is your choice. You can decide that you're going to just uh, serve yourself, uh, exalt yourself, make it about yourself, and the scripture says God will humble you. (laughs) Or you can humble yourself, and the scripture says God will lift you up. You see, Jesus humbled himself, but in due time, The Father exalted him so that today he's once again seated on the throne of heaven. Today the angels once again crowd around him and give him eternal worship. Today the 24 elders cast their crowns in the sea and bow down before him and shout that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is almighty, that he alone is God. He has been exalted and he has been given the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself. But if we're going to be serious about application, we must not confuse what humility means. Ethel Waters famously said, God made you and God don't make no junk. She was right on. She was right on. Humility is not self-loathing. Humility is not disrespecting yourself. Humility is not treating yourself like dirt or allowing others to treat you like dirt you have great immense immeasurable inherent value because you're a child of god because you're made in the image of the king you have incredible worth so much so that jesus christ laid down his life in order that you might have eternal life with him you have incredible incredible worth so don't hear me say disrespect yourself when you hear me say humble yourself. Don't hear me say dis, uh, you know, uh, not, not to love yourself when I say that you should humble yourself. Guys, our problem, frankly, is not that we don't love ourselves enough. Our problem is that we love ourselves too much. God don't make no junk. He made you. And you're special. But humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. A sinner, deserving of hell, and saved by amazing grace. A child of God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done for you. The, the famous author, Alex Haley, he, he died few years back but in his office he had this picture it was a picture of a, a turtle sitting on top of a fence post and anytime someone would come into his office they would see this weird picture and they would ask him about is that a pet why do you have this picture of this turtle what's this all about and he would always use it as an opportunity to teach and he would say this Anytime you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know one thing for sure, he didn't get there by himself. Folks, if we're to be honest with ourselves, we have to realize that every good thing in us is there because God put it there. We have to realize that every good thing that we do is only good in terms of how God makes it good. We we have to realize that any good in you comes as a gift of God. And submission is the application of that humility. It's the willingness to subject yourself to others. To not make it all about you. To do as Paul writes, consider others as more important than yourself. Jesus, as we've seen in this series, washed feet. Jesus traveled great distances just to touch the life of one person. Jesus hung naked and bleeding on a cross for you. And he prayed for his murderers while they were murdering him. And his, not theirs, his is the name that is above every name. How different would this world be if those of us who claim to be followers of this great king Jesus would follow his example In humility and submission, if our hearts would come to the place where we say, I will humble myself in the presence of God, I will bow down in your presence, Lord. And I will trust that if I'm ever to be lifted up, I will be lifted up by you. And I will not lift up my own name. As we wrap up this series on being a follower of Jesus... Just let me close with this thought. I mentioned it in the very first sermon of the series. And I want it to be the bookends of the series as we think together about this. So let me close with this thought. Christianity is not so much about where you are or even who you are. Christianity is about where you're going and who you're becoming. When Jesus called those fishermen from the boats, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. May the words of Jesus echo in your heart. Follow me, and I will make you who I created you to be. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Heavenly Father, it is for Your glory and because of Your grace that we can even come to You in prayer today. Father, we recognize that there's so much in our flesh that fights to be first, that fights to be recognized, that fights to be served by others, and yet You have given us the example, Lord Jesus, of what it means to lay down Your life, what it means to submit, what it means to sacrifice. Oh, Father, as we have looked at the example of Jesus through these weeks, we thank you that you have seen fit to send him, that he might live as a man and be an example to us. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would so fill our lives that we would walk in the example of Jesus. That we would follow you, Lord, and you would make us who you want us to be. And it's in your precious name, Lord Jesus, that we pray.